1: Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.
0: Chris joins me now. You can read his piece over at the Daily Mafia on Media Day yesterday.
1: Chris, what are we listening to? That is the first song of Elvis Costello's debut, debut album. Welcome to the working week for the Memphis Grizzlies who begin their working week at training camp today.
0: All right, uh, yesterday uh, is an, media, another media day in the books. You wrote about it over at the Daily Memphian. People can read your piece um, over there. Um, but you pointed out, uh, just as for starters, big picture, this is a media day unlike any other because Ja was missing, and so a lot of the talk was about that. We did get some clarity on on what he will be able to do. Um, Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I had
1: suspected from the jump he'd be able to practice with the team. It did not, it's not so much that I thought he would not be able to travel. I I, I don't know if I thought about the idea of him traveling with the team, but to me that was not an assumption, certainly, so that was sort of new. But but I think, I mean, I I think there's a, a general agreement that the best way to, like, bring him back on board is to keep him close to the team. Um, and the goal of this whole apparatus is not just to punish him for his misdeeds, but to sort of rehabilitate him and get him back on track. That's the real goal for the, for the Grizzlies and the NBA. And I, I do think it seems like this is the best way to do that. It, it's, it's sort of a good problem within a bad problem that he's able to be this close and the practice and all of that because for Taylor Jenkins it presents the complication of preparing for one team while simultaneously preparing for another team in terms of your own team, and so that's a little a little tricky, I think, for the coaching staff. Yeah, I thought,
0: um, just to take that very quickly, it was interesting, like Taylor Jenkins, how do you practice with Ja when Ja isn't playing for 25 games? Um, and he right. said, which made all the sense in the world, that he's not gonna be with the first group. Of course he's not, right? I mean, why
1: would he? Right. Um, my, my guess is that, that you'll just try to keep him in basketball shape and, and keep him sharp skills-wise, and then maybe when you get two or three weeks out from his debut, maybe you start running more like, you know, sets and stuff like that in practice that, that will mimic his his role. That would be my guess.
0: They were very vague. I think you asked for how did it come to pass that they that he could travel? Like was it a league thing? Was it something they requested? And Zach Climate didn't want to answer any of that. And neither are they answering about any of the plans around Ja. Right. I, mean, I, I I don't really know. Do you imagine that they have some job plan for what he will be doing on the road? And for like, we know Derek Rose is going to be babysitting him, but, but as someone like what, what do you imagine? I mean,
1: I, I mean, I expect there are certainly expectations that, that, that have been discussed. I would guess, um, you know, is, is it, are they going to like have a curfew or what? you know, right. I, I doubt it. I feel, I feel like this is not college or high school, you know? Um, so I, I suspect there's been a lot of discussion uh, about, everything. Um, but as far as like hard and fast changes to protocols and changes right. to team roles, and that kind of stuff, I really don't know.
0: Okay. Uh, onward to the injury stuff. Um, as you said yesterday, uh, and they were very clear, Zaire Williams is not hurt. Uh, and you said, That's yes, right. there's, they're strengthening. It is interesting. They're being so precise about that. They're vague about a lot of injury stuff, but they want to be very precise that he is not hurt. And, um, that it was tendonitis, and this is strengthening. You, you again, you told us this yesterday morning. Um, Stephen Adams, I thought fundamentally good news, although it was phrased differently depending on who you asked.
1: Yeah, that's right. I, I, I think I take it. I take it at face value. I, I think the Zach Kleinman sort of sort of mid-grade explanation is what, is what I sort of take at face value, which is like you know he, he's 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 cleared for to play basketball, um, but that they they are going to like be conservative, sort of in ramping it up. Um, and so that, that's sort of in the middle of good to go, which I think Taylor Jenkins said at some point, not, not in media day, but not on the, from the podium or Dias or whatever. But earlier, at some other point in the day, he said good to go, and that's the tape that's been grabbed. He's not good to go because T- Stephen Adams said that himself. He said I would, it would be irres- – this is the quote I used to sort of frame my, my story beyond the Stephen Adams was, you know, it would be irresponsible to say, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to play right now. I'm, the buildup is important. And so, you know, I think it is what it is. I think there's every expectation he's going to be in the lineup on opening night. But I don't know whether he'll play Sunday. I asked about that later, and the response I got was basically, he hasn't been ruled out for Sunday, but, you know, we, we don't know between here and there like what we're going to do with him.
0: I mean, Stephen Adams is always vague on everything with a chuckle and a bro and a, you know, shrug. <laughs> he, he really right. he uses that to camouflage brilliantly. Did we ever, like— we did get some sense there were setbacks, right? Like, did we? Like, there was some vague reference. To- well, I don't know.
1: You, you, get, you get into semantics with that, right? It, it was, was a setback or just it didn't? It didn't. Right. Whether it just never got forward. Setback implies you go forward and then you move backward. <laughs> right. I, I think this was a case where it just didn't move forward at the pace that, that they wanted it to. And so I don't know if there was a setback as much as like it didn't. It didn't fit the timeline that they thought on the front end. Um. And so, you know, knee injuries can be tricky like that. I mean, this happened with Jaron, and Jaron had a much more severe knee injury, but like his timeline was altered, and that may have been that may have been a critical setback with Jaron. But it was at least a case of, you know, the timeline took longer than initially anticipated. Uh,
0: so, what did you make of what they said about Zaire Williams? What Zaire Williams said, and do you think it is their hope? that he is the starting small forward on this team opening day?
1: Um, I don't know if I would say it's their hope, but I, I think that it's right there for him, and he sort of expressed that himself, you know, go get it. It's right there for him to take. I, I don't – and Taylor Jenkins, when we talk about, you know, different lineups and different preseason games, my memory is that that is not what he did last pre- preseason. We were wondering, like, who's going to be the starting forward? I'm pretty right. sure it was Santi Aldama from the first preseason, preseason game all the way to opening night. And does that sound like that's going to be the case this preseason? Um, but they don't have a they, – they you know, I've I said Luke Kennard's the default, but that I would take the field over Luke Kennard. I said that on a different pod last week. Um, and so, you know, I think they drafted Zaire. Zaire is the highest drafted of these guys. Um, he's the one who most fits the theoretical skill set they have been hungry to add and to develop going back to training for Justice Winslow and all kinds of other stuff. And so I think the theoretical Zaire Williams is who they most want in that spot. Yes. I mean, the, the, the practice has to match the theory, and it sounds like he, he's got a better chance of doing that now than he did a year ago health-wise. Uh, what
0: did you make of Taylor Jenkins' discussions about <laughs> – we're going to be hearing – it felt to me like we're going to be hearing a lot about Gears this year. Uh, yeah, yeah
1: <laughs> he, he, like, he likes his coach speak. He's got some new coach speak. And he's gonna, he's going to take it for a spin. Yeah. He's going to he's going to roll down the window and crank up the radio and take yeah. take that coach speech out for a joyride. Yeah. What it's did gears, the, what it's did the ge- he was talking cycles, about cycles? Cycles was a thing in the
0: past. What did yeah. he, what did he mean by gears? What what what, what was the, all the talk about so
1: gears? I actually think it's a little interesting the way he, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I was picking up what he, what he was yeah. down, what was it I'm putting like down, I was like percent sure I was. So he's talking about we talked about offense in terms of transition and half court. And then sometimes we talk about it in terms of secondary break, right? And so, you know, when you're in transition, but you pull back a little bit, but things still aren't settled. And so initially I thought that's what he was talking about, transition, secondary break, half court. But that's not what he was talking about. He was making this, a distinction between the half court basketball you play, like off of a defensive rebound, and the half court basketball you play off of an inbounds pass. That there's a difference in how set things are. And so, what he was saying, I think, is that the majority of the game is played in the, what he's calling the second gear, which is not transition, but it's not coming off an inbounds pass or, that, or, or a made free throw or whatever where things are fully settled. It's your normal, you get a defensive rebound, you're coming down the floor, everyone's getting matched up, but it's not a fast break kind of thing. And he's saying that the, the majority of the game is played in that second gear, and that he wants the team to be played with a little more freedom in that. And so there'd be less structure, less play-calling and that sort of run-of-the-mill half-court basketball. Like, you know, no, they'll, they'll run plays out of timeouts and out of, out of inbounds and that kind of stuff. But he wants, I think, a little more pace, a little more freedom and creativity in what, what he's calling the second gear. That's what I got out of that. Uh,
0: one of the big questions is, uh, what happens to Marcus Smart when John Morant returns? Um, there was great discussion about how, Marcus Smart, he's just a winner, wants to win, willing to do anything, although there had been some sense coming into this that he may or may not, just like he, he really matters to him whether he starts or not. I didn't hear him. Did he talk about that, and what's your sense? What what sense did
1: you get about any of that going forward? Well, he talked about, and I, I sort of asked him about, you know, I think the way I phrased it was, it's not unusual that, that your role is going to change at a certain, you know, midway or deep into the season. It's unusual that you know ahead of time your role is going <laughs> right. to change. Like that, right. that, that's what's unusual. And the implication there was you go from starting point guard to playing on the wing. And so he talked about, you know, the knowledge and the willingness of sort of changing roles within a starting lineup. Right. No one suggested the idea of not being in the starting lineup. And that, to me, that is something that, you know, let's, 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 let's go back to that 25 games into the season. Uh, it, it, I, I think their idea is that Marcus Smart will be in the starting lineup after Jock comes back. I think certainly his defensive value is, is amplified by being in the starting lineup because you want him to guard the other team's best player. This is a conversation we had with Dylan Brooks for years. Like, there was an idea he could be a six man, but then, like, his defense is not maximized. I think this, the same conversation applies to Marcus Smart, but there was never a good alternative to Dylan Brooks in the starting lineup. Right. And there may not be one to Marcus Smart in the starting lineup. But what happens if Zaire Williams like has a breakthrough season for twenty five games as a starting small forward or, you know, theoretically if Jake LaRavia did or David Riley did or something like that, I think it becomes an interesting conversation, but like we don't have to have that conversation until, you know, it's put on the table.
0: One of the things they talked about, I think it was Taylor Jenkins, said that previously a defensive stopper hadn't also been their chief ball handler. And that presents a different yeah. sort of how do you think Obviously that's true, but what challenges does that pose? So
1: it's a lot to ask, but I think, and this is a question I asked Desmond Bain, it was a leading question, but he he picked up what I was putting down, which is that playing with Marcus Smart will be different for him than playing with Tyus Jones and Ja Morant, because Tyus and Ja are traditional run the offense on the ball point guards Marcus Smart may envi- may envision himself that way, but he's in that role. But the reality is, he's spent a lot of his career playing on and off the ball. And I think when you play a Marcus Smart, Desmond Bain backcourt, as they will to start the season, Marcus Smart's going to be called the point guard, and Desmond going to be called the scoring guard. But I don't. I think it's going to be kind of like you know in Phoenix, where it's Bradley Bill and Devin Booker, and like you know, I, I think I think they're going to be shared duties. I think I think the offense. It's going to run as much, if not more, through Desmond Bain as it does with Marcus Smart. And maybe that takes a little bit of the burden off Marcus Smart and allows him to you know, put more effort on the defensive end. I don't think even though he's the starting point guard, he's not going to be a point guard in the same way that Tyus Jones and John, John Morant were, I don't think.
0: I think folks were universally impressed by uh, what Derek Rose had to say. I was. Uh, I gather from your tweets that you were. Um, what are your thoughts on Derek?
1: Well, I mean, I think it was that was the most compelling media day you know interview whatever you, whatever you call the right. things that happen where they sit up there and talk and people throw questions at them I don't know if that, that's an interview yeah it, it, appearance it was the most i thought it was probably the most compelling media day appearance I, i've ever seen or sat through like i it was it was pretty riveting um, just the directness and the and the plain spokenness and and, and or the eloquence, there didn't feel like there was any performance in it. Uh, like it you know, it felt like real talk there. Um, you know, there is ishtu- arrows in his past. He, he, he volunteered them himself without anyone asking about them. He didn't go into details, but he, like, said some words you didn't expect him to say. I, I don't – whatever my personal discomfort is with some of those issues, like, you know, whatever it is what it is, I don't think being good in a a press conference has much bearing on that. Um, It has no bearing on whether he's going to help them on the floor, but that's true for every person who sits up there and talks um, in terms of that, other than injury information. Where I do think it was meaningful beyond just within these 18 minutes it was compelling sort of theater is that for whatever he says, I do think the primary reason he is here is to be an influence on John Moran and I think the way he spoke in that setting actually is relevant to 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 thinking to thinking about how how he might impact the locker room. You know, to me, he was persuasive. He was persuasive in that manner in terms of thinking about that translating behind behind closed doors in a way that a year ago, Danny Green was not. And so, to me, it gave me a little bit more. Um, I don't know if confidence is the right word, but, but to me, the, the concept of Derrick Rose and the why the Grizzlies are bringing him in, to me, I, I, I feel like – I feel I feel is more sound today than I felt two days ago. And I wasn't like opposed to it two days yeah. ago. I understood it. But I feel even better about it now than I did two days ago in terms of what they think he's going to be to the team.
0: No, I agree. I, I It felt like we all saw yesterday – what they saw or imagined, I think, saw in their conversations with him. That because at the time they signed him, they'd already had acquired Marcus Smart. It felt like duplicative right. and unnecessary, and like what? And yet, literally, when you hear him talk about it, you can imagine him sitting in a plane next to John Moran, having that same way about talking about life in the world, and you can imagine it. Right. Who knows how it works? You know how this stuff works. And although. He did very explicitly say, I'm not going to babysit. I'm not going to be a plant. I'm not all that stuff. He also talked openly about how much veterans once meant to him and seeing veterans meant to him and how much he thinks they mean in the locker room. And this was a point you brought up was the Vince Carter example of he seems like he's embraced that, that transition in his own career. Yeah, he basically accepted the
1: positive connotations and, and declined the negative connotations. Uh-huh. Well, they're both two sides of the same thing. And so i have no quarrel with how he chooses to talk about it or not talk about it. Right. Uh, the reality is he is there to be an influence on John Morant, I think, first and foremost. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a good right. thing, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and, and I think he – I guess my point is he acknowledges it. In terms of on the court, we imagine that in the first 25 games he'll be part of the solution as backup point guard, and then he may
1: disappear. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, guys get injured, right? right. I mean, you, you don't have everybody available all the time. In fact, you know there'll be two guys you would not have available when the season starts. And so I think he will begin the season number two on the depth chart at that position. And when Ja's back, he's number three on the depth chart at that position. But, like, you know, right. you, you go down the depth chart game by game depending right. on who's available. So, I, so I, I think the hope is that when he is called upon, he will be able to help them on the floor. I think that remains to be seen. When you talk to people who watched him in New York, certainly more than I did, you get different opinions on that. I I certainly know people who watched Derrick Rose last year more than I – and he says, you know, they didn't really play me last year. He did play some. And so when I talk to people who did watch him play, I've gotten a lot of skepticism about whether he has anything left in the tank. But I don't have a firm opinion myself on that. All right, Chris, thanks
0: very much. Appreciate it. Thanks. Chris Harrington at the Daily Memphian. You can read his piece uh,
1: over at the Daily Memphian. I have tweeted it out.